0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: We've got so much to get stuck into in this week's episode of the Gagapot as we wrap up a week of World Cup qualifying in Europe, 80 games and the headline is Thursday morning's result where Germany have lost a World Cup qualifier for the first time in 20 years. What a result that was against North Macedonia. We'll kick off with that and there is so much to look forward to with the Premier League and Champions League returning. Yeah, hi everyone. We're back for another episode of The Gagapod and we were lamenting last week that we were talking on a non-match day. Well, we haven't had such problems over the last week with something like 80 games live on Optus Sport or On Demand or however you want to watch them. And there have been goals flying in absolutely everywhere as UEFA's World Cup qualifying for Qatar in 2022 has just got underway. John Luisi and Thomas Sorensen join me, David Weiner, today to run through all of that and to look ahead to the Champions League and Premier League resuming on the weekend and next week. The football is not going to stop all the way through to the Euros in June. Gents, great to see you again, John Thomas. John, to you first, how are you? Have you enjoyed a week of World Cup qualifying madness?
2: Well, I've had a sleepless week because there's been so much football. It's been incredible. Some amazing results, some that you expect But it it just makes it more excited now for the uh, Euro that's coming up because, you know, you're seeing a lot of the teams that will be involved in the Euros, um, but the World Cup qualifying through the European uh, group stages is so difficult. It just throws so many surprises at you, and uh, it's probably the hardest uh, path to a World Cup. When you look at, uh, you know, the South American one, you look at uh, the Asian way and the the Central America – the, the European one is the hardest, and and Thomas can tell you that uh, from his own experiences.
1: Yeah, bring back good memories, Thomas, or uh, <laughs> or uh,
0: just memories of travel and 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 uh, being on the road. Yeah, no, especially uh, you know, like we've seen, like uh, you know, Armenia, you know, doing incredibly well, three out of three, and uh, you know, those travels to to those countries where you know. I know at the moment they don't have any fans, uh, but that, that that tends to be the you know the the X factor that the uh, you know the teams uh, like Bosnia have, and like where it's really intense. So, Thomas, how long
2: will it take you to get to Armenia from Denmark?
0: You know, I remember flying overnight. We actually had a game uh, in Copenhagen, and then we played uh, three days later in Armenia, and we flew straight away. So we went straight to the airport. Flew overnight and it was an eight-hour flight for Co- from Copenhagen. Uh, I got to Armenia. Um, they had uh, they only had power for eight hours during the day. <laughs> at eight o'clock at night, they, they cut the power. Uh, we, we remember, you know, just totally different circumstances. Uh, the, the the stadium was filled with uh, military. They, they they didn't allow it. It was just. 40,000 soldiers there in the crowd. Uh, And we managed to get away with a 2-1 win, but we were... We, we were struggling it was tough and the pitch wasn't great so it, you know it, it throws a lot of challenges for teams especially in this period where you have three games within a, a week and a half uh, there's a lot of juggling for, for the managers we've
1: got a lot to tuck into in terms of results but I, I just want to like I was watching even Lithuania against Italy this morning and you look at it looks like it's a local park like you'd ha- have here in Australia the synthetic field even something like that throws up a challenge um, it, it looks like it's a real adventure as much as it, it is a football experience sorry you, you want to say something John?
2: yeah no the it was even like the, yeah, Thomas mentions about the pitch and and how difficult it is and then the you know the, the challenges they throw at you. It was like Spain during the week they went to or on the weekend they went to Georgia and really struggled. And uh, Lewis Enrique spoke after the game. He goes, "Yes, the pitch was bad. We understand that." He goes, "The balls were flat, so you can um, you know they're throwing out a flat balls, so the Spanish players couldn't really control the ball properly." But he was still upset in in terms of he said, "We have to play a little." A little bit more courage and they got away with one they scored in the last minute of the game to win 2-1 and um, and that's just that's Spain who are a powerhouse going to Georgia so it, it's such a tough uh, stage to get through and um, only one team qualifies automatically so there's still a lot to play for in these group stages.
1: Well absolutely well let's kick off then with the team that now has a hell of a lot to play for. We're recording Thursday, Australian time, Thursday morning, and we've just watched North Macedonia beat Germany in Germany 2-1. Germany haven't lost a World Cup qualifier since, I think, 2001. Something like 35 20 years, games said. unbeaten. Um, and you just can't fathom this result to go down 2-1 against a side. Here's the context of the rankings. Either side of world six, number 65 North Macedonia is Honduras and Albania. John, how does Germany lose a game like this?
2: Oh, well, they should never have lost a game like this. It uh, it just goes to show North Macedonia, uh, no team is easy, and uh, they've still got their quality. And uh, when you don't actually take your chances, and the Germans had their chances, not only in the first half, uh, and, and I'm sure this is going to be replayed over and over again, Timo Werner mm-hmm. is opportunity that he had at 1-1 to make it 2-1. Um, it's inexcusable, really, when you think about it. And and just the marking in the box from the Germans for the, the goals. You know, the Pandev, who's 37 years old, he's <laughs> he's, uh, he's been around a long time, and he was completely alone in, in the six-yard box to tap it him to make it to 1-0 just before halftime. And uh, and you think, well, you know, this is not going to be a, a good night for the Germans. But I I had that feeling coming into these three games that um, they were going to struggle because Joachim Lowe, I don't know if he's lost the group, but it just seems like that, that they're tired of him. And I write that saying that this is his last tournament um, and then he's going to move on from there. But oh, I don't know, going into this tournament, I don't see them doing well at all.
1: Yeah, is that why they're so bad, Thomas? Because on paper, the team should not be so bad. And now this is, I was looking at some of you. I feel like we've had this Jürgen Lowe discussion now for about a year, even longer. Obviously, the World Cup was not good. Then you had the Nations League debacle where they came last. Then you had them losing to Spain 6-0 uh, the last time we
0: did an international uh, conversation. Why are they so bad? You no, know, I, I, I've i got a question why they've held on to him for this long. And I, I think you've, you've seen it. Sort of mulling in the background for, for a long time, I like going into the, the World Cup um, you know in, in 18. I thought they were poor. Um and, and, and not just getting enough out of the amount of talent. Like you look at you know the amount of players they have at this at their disposal. Um, they probably haven't got an out-and-out striker, I think, at, at the moment, you know, Werner you know, the, you know, where they probably in the past have had, uh, you know, someone more prolific up front, just, just as a goal scorer. But, you know, you look at an all round team, um, they, they should have enough. And and I agree with John that it looks like he's lost the group. It looks like the, the inspiration that it, he provided early, early on in, in his, his in his tenure, it, it's gone. They just lack ideas, you know, just, you know, the passion. I think, you know, you look at him late in the game, chasing the 2-1. They couldn't really mount anything. They just got to the box and then it just ran out. Um, so so I, I I think he needs to go probably before the Euros if, if they're going to try to salvage it.
1: They're not going to have the guts to do that though, will they, John, given they've hang, ha, hold, held on this long to him? I mean, Jürgen nah. was the one that approached, from what we can see from outside in, it looks like Jürgen was the one that said, listen, I... I'm not going to go all the way to Qatar, let's, let's end it at the Euros. But you'd almost think that they need that kind of um, lo- injection just before
2: the tournament. Yeah, you think they – well, they definitely do, but will they make a decision like that with uh, virtually only how uh, 70 days to go before the tournament starts? I don't think they will. I think they'll stick with him uh, through this tournament. But the danger they've got is not qualifying directly for the World Cup. That's the big danger. because Armenia, the Euro North Macedonia,
1: Germany in yeah. that group with Romania and Iceland and Liechtenstein beneath them.
2: And none of those games are easy. When you think about it, Liechtenstein is the easy one. Romania is the tough, that's a tough place to go as well. And it's a tough, uh, you know, they've already played them once. But, um, you know, North Macedonia, they still need to go over there. They still need to go there and play. And uh, Armenia they haven't faced yet. So it, it's not going to be easy. W- what are they going to do? Who? No one's really spoken about who they're going to replace uh, Jürgen Loeb with um, at the I moment. I
1: think they uh, need to Hansi flick the switch before the Euros. <laughs>
2: I, I would love for him to take over because I think that he was the brains behind the German national team when they won the World Cup um, a few years back now. So I think that, uh, that would be the obvious replacement. But we'll buy Munich. Want to let him go because at the moment it seems like Bayern Munich with him uh, are pretty much uh, unstoppable. So, but I agree with Thomas; they do lack a number nine, a pure striker that just gets those those goals. You look at Bayern Munich; they got Lewandowski, that um, he's that number nine that's going to score you their goals. And then on the on the side of him, you've got uh, Gnabry, and you've got uh, uh, Komen and you, you've also got Sane, who play with the German national team. So. That's probably the only thing they lack, and then at the back, oh, they they've got issues. They've got mm. issues. They, they 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 concede too many clear cut chances. Everyone's going to concede opportunities, but clear cut like they did this morning, that that against a North Macedonian team, which um, no disrespect to them, aren't a powerhouse in Europe. Mm. Guys,
1: what happens to Timo Verner, by the way? Um, that miss is not a one off, and you hate to get get into the hysterics of you know piling on a striker when he's not in form but you just also read between the lines and there's a there's starting to become a lot more talk in england about chelsea potentially looking at reevaluating their striking stocks after one year like, genuinely where, where does timo verner go from here to, to rediscover his form
0: you know i, th- I think the, the problem for him now is that it's getting highlighted you know you know if you you know john will know as a, as a striker that you know when you're in great form and you miss a couple of chances it you know, nobody notices it, but when you're in bad form, everything gets highlighted. And um, but I, I'm not so sure that that he wouldn't benefit from uh, you know uh, a Haaland or, or some or some big prolific striker. I think it would take the pressure off him. And and uh, you know, I still think you know we were talking the other week about the amount of work uh, that he puts in for Chelsea uh, and for the national team, the amount of runs um, and pressure he puts on. You know, that has a You know, that has some, some, uh, you know, quality to it. So, you know, I I think, you know, the pressure of him a little bit would be, um, would, would actually not be too bad. I don't see him as
2: a typical uh, striker that, you know, that he's going to sniff out a chance. I think he, he creates or he gets into opportunities because of his pace, because of his, um, you know, the the plays that he usually has around him. I think he needs a, a number nine next to him that will be that guy that scores those 20 to 30 goals a year, and then he will come through and score his 15, 20. But at the moment, everyone's looking at him going, well, he's our major signing. He's the one that should be scoring 20-plus goals. And really, Chelsea haven't got anyone else that's going to score 20-plus goals. So um, I-, I think that will take the pressure off of him. And it, it might even be that situation of sort of the- that Fernando Torres situation that Chelsea didn't, r- couldn't ever recover from having a bad start and and all that pressure on him in terms of uh, getting his confidence back, it might be that he needs to go again, uh, where that is, I don't know, and find his confidence because – Going into the Euro like this, I don't think he's going to be as good as what he was a year ago for Germany. And um, let's see what uh, Tuchel does, does it with him because he, he needs to get confident because at the moment you see Havertz is getting a bit more confident in his game. The Timo Werner in front of goal is definitely not confident at all.
1: I tell you what, and it just has fallen off a cliff face because it was looking so positive early on in the season for him at Chelsea, and then a couple of games without a goal, but uh, I think about ten without a goal, and and now he's missing open goals. It's it's really a, it's really a pity for him. You,
2: you can also see with uh, it's easy for a striker when you, you're scoring goals and everything's going well for you, but you can see with his mentality, he's a nice person. He, you know, even in his interviews, he's a nice person. Whereas you see like Haaland, Harlan is is so one-sided. It's, I'm going to score. If I miss, I don't care. And, and, and people can say what they want about it. That mentality of, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Whereas Verna it seems a little bit more softer and nicer. And, and that can also play an impact when you're not doing well. How quickly can you get out of it? You know, Ronaldo, people criticised him left, right and centre after that game that they lost uh, for Juventus against Porto. And then the next week, what does he do? Scores a hat-trick. That's the mentality that a striker does need. And I'm talking about a top, top striker. I don't think Werner's got that.
1: Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Because one of those interviews... I. a couple of weeks ago after the game was one of the first times he's been put up after a game and it was quite wholesome you could almost see he was almost sheepish embarrassed and even sort of said i don't deserve to take penalties you know it's probably a good moment for me not to take it because what if i don't what if i don't score it is only going to pile on so that that's really interesting insight because you could tell that he is actually quite a a humble nice young guy uh, from the media that he has done so we'll see what happens there we'll see what happens to germany and we'll see what comes out in the wash-up over the coming weeks and months about Lowe's tenure, Lowe's tenure, I should say, and his legacy, given it's such an unusually long stint. Of course, he's won a World Cup, but almost, you think, feel like the last five years for Germany has almost been wasted. So we'll see what happens there. One country that's not going to want to waste the next few months, guys, is England, and they won 2-1 late against Poland at home at Wembley. Um, Harry Kane got them into the lead early on after Raheem Sterling won a penalty, but they did get pegged back just after, just before the hour, after John Stones' mistake, which needed Harry Maguire to bail him out late on. What did you make of this one, John?
2: Very comfortable uh, until the, they equalised. Poland. I, I think that uh, England would have been disappointed that it was only one nil. I actually thought they played well. We spoke about it last week, didn't we, about the formation. Will he play with three at the back or will he go to four? He's gone to 4-3-3. I think it's working well because he's able to get those more attacking players onto the field. Um, Look, John Stone's made a mistake, but they recovered after that, and that's important. When you're playing uh, not only in these important games but in a a tournament like they're going to be playing in the Euro, there's going to be times where you're going to make a mistake. It's how you... Recover and if they get through that initial. Poland's not an easy, easy side to, to play against, and they played well and uh, and they got the three points that they deserved, even though it was laid on and, and they had to rely on a set piece. But, um, I think promising signs for England. I I really do. I I think that, um, yeah, John Stone's made an error that he has made in the past, but this season that's uh, very uncharacteristic of him. Um, But he didn't shy away after that. He kept on playing, and and, uh, England, I think, very promising, week and a half.
1: Mount, Thomas, Mount and Foden, both in the lineup with Rice and Phillips alongside them. What did you make of that selection? Have we seen, okay, the two early games. You read what you want into those, but this was the first big test. He's gone with the 4 three, 3 the three at the back is gone, and he's got the two informed, creative, young Englishmen into the 11.
0: Is that a sign of what he might be thinking for that first game of the Euros? Yeah, I think you've seen signs of, of at least four, five, six players that that's already nailed their spot. I think Mason Mount is one. Declan Rice in midfield. I think Phillips, you know, has done well, but I think his spot is still up for, for grabs. And then, you know, down through the middle, I think, you know, obviously Maguire and Stones, I think will we'll start and Kane up front. Um, you know, again, I th- they've got options. Foden has done well. He's played so well for for, you know, Manchester City. And I know Bridgie was uh, <laughs> was a few weeks ago saying no, he has to play. You know, he should be the first man on the team sheet. Uh, I think he's done well. Uh, but they've got so many options there. Uh, you know, you would think Sterling would be a, a given as well. So I think that's what England needs. They need seven or eight players that you know will play and, and they need to play continuously. And then you you can sort of take the informed players um from that vast amount of talent they've got on the bench. Um, um because I you know, I think they need that they need that stability to be able to challenge for the Euros. Uh, I like- can't
2: yeah, I I agree, Thomas. I, I actually liked um, that he played Chewell and uh, look, I think Shaw was unlucky to miss out, but I think Chewell and Mount having played a lot together at Chelsea was was good as well. And then, you know, you've got um, Sterling and, and Foden that, that are City players and Kyle Walker. I think what he's, what he's doing is, and and exactly what Thomas said, Calvin Phillips is probably the only one that you're saying, okay, we're not sure about with Henderson Coming back in, you can see that he been playing in that spot, and then when they do uh, need a little bit more injection, you put a Rashford in, you put a Sancho in, you know, you've, you've even got Grealish that will be pushing to come in. So they've got good players to replace, and I think he's got a pretty settled seven or eight, um, and and then from there he can make changes in the tournament when. Some players are informed, some players aren't. I think they're looking really strong. Really, uh, they, they they should be going to the Euro, confident that they could go very, very far.
1: Sterling's. I thought Sterling was an interesting one today because he's someone that's kind of been I don't know if taken for granted or forgotten in all this hist- like buzz about all their options. But I felt when England were a little bit one pace might be unfair, but when they were really dominating possession, he gave that them that injection, that direct play, that different outlet, and if they're going to play both uh, Mount and whether it's Grealish or Foden or whoever, Thomas, it felt
0: like Sterling's role is really, really important just to give that an extra that zip in that final third. Yeah, and especially with runs in behind as well. You know, that's what he does so well for for Man City. And, uh, you know, with Kane's sort of, you know, maybe uh, instead of playing an out and out nine, pushing up all the time, you know, he, he'll drop deep and, and that'll leave space in behind for for, for Sterling um, and, and I think it's it's a good combination um, if he can find the form uh, you know that he's shown and I think again today as you said I think he, he provided that pace
1: I guess Thomas your Denmark side won 4-0 in Austria good win for Spain pretty comfortable 3-1 winners over Kosovo Moving back to Wednesday, Netherlands put seven past Gibraltar, but they needed to do that comfortably after a hiccup at the start of this qualifying campaign against Turkey. Wales 1 0 against Czech Republic. Croatia 3 0 against Malta. Luxembourg 1, Portugal 3, with Ronaldo getting on the scoreboard. But hasn't Diogo Jota been important for Portugal? Guys, what's caught your eye out of uh, the last week, just looking at the rest of the results and the rest of the headlines? Um, to you first, John.
2: What's caught my eye is that um, Sergio Ramos played 45 minutes against Greece, got dragged at halftime, and then uh, Luis Enriquez left him on the bench for the, the next two games. And he's come out and saying it's been uh, tactical reasons. And uh, there's massive talk. It's all over the Spanish papers. Um, they're, they're saying that Real Madrid don't understand why uh, Luis Enrique has done that. Why are they? Why is he selecting him if he's not going to play him? I think that what Luis Enriquez doing is going, uh, Ramos, if you're not going to be at the top of your form, I'm not going to play you. I'll play an Eric Garcia um, or or other players in your position. He's getting him ready for the Euro because Sergio Ramos then, he won't be liking sitting on the bench coming on for the last five minutes this morning against Kosovo. So it's interesting the mind games already leading up to the Euro and also the form of Mitrovic for Serbia. Everything he touched turned into a goal. It was, uh, you know, Serbia. A, a pretty good start when you think about it, uh, drawing with Portugal. Um, seven points over the first three games, equal top with Portugal. It's uh, that's not going to be an easy group to get through as well for Portugal. So they're probably the two things that stood out this week.
0: About you, Thomas? No, I obviously got to you know look through my red and white uh, of glasses. <laughs> And, and actually, I've been really, really impressed with, with, with the Danish team. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, after three games, they played probably on paper the two toughest games in Israel and in Austria and, and uh, you know, beaten Israel 2 0 and 4 0 this morning. Um, just clinical. Uh, so tight at the back. You know, Christensen and, and Kier from AC Milan are playing really well in front of Smykel. And um they're their just midfield's
2: looking strong as well, Thomas. They're the two oh. midfielders. Obviously,
0: Hoppejerk and, and Delaney, and then Eriksen, You know, as a creative force, and then you got Braithwaite uh, from Barcelona. Uh, you know, they're they're looking. You know, I'm not saying they should be in John's famous, uh, you know, power five. Uh, <laughs> Look, I had them down there. They're sneaking in there, Thomas. You no, know, they, they're, they, they're you, you know it. they're knocking at the door, John. They're there. You can hear the knock. Uh, I'm not quite ready to 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 drop them in the top 5 but uh, uh you know you know the only ones with a you know a, a clean sheets in the first three games alongside Italy so you know both in both ends of the field they're doing really well Could a, it be a famous 92 repeat hmm. I think they got more s- squad depth because that's always been Denmark's problem you know, like if Eriksen gets injured and you know Schmeichel gets injured then you know where where do you stand but I think actually um, the policy they in you know inducted probably about 10, 15 years ago with their youth development. Uh, you now even the the under twenty one national team beat France uh, and are top of their group in in the European qualifiers, and that's never happened before. So I think they've just got a lot of players playing at a high level. Uh, and you look at the bench, and you can see you know today uh skull came on from he plays at bologna he scored two goals and he was the game changer uh and i think that's been lacking in the past and, and now they've got it so i'm sort of ready to to give them a, a shot in the top eight uh, at the euros uh you know a quarterfinal and, and then see see where they go from there and
1: it's a decent walkout qualifying group actually uh, scotland israel austria Faroe islands and moldova so um your Danes will have very very high aspirations of securely getting to, to the next World Cup. Now, you mentioned it, drum roll, because uh, we've all been waiting for the, the update of, of John Aloisi's top five power rankings because we got first impressions in last week. No, sorry, we're, we're getting our, we got our first impressions in over this week because last week was sort of a look at the squads, look at what it might look like in theory, a bit of fantasy, what we think will be the best uh, five teams in Europe. John, have the teams done anything to convince you that you might have uh, been wrong last week?
2: No, look, I'm saying power rankings going into the Euro. Uh, uh, the French national team haven't played well, but the, you don't expect them to play that well. They they seem to get the job done. They're very pragmatic under Deschamps. They won the World Cup playing that way. Uh, the last Euro, they made the finals.
1: Actually, I should add, we, I didn't mention their result this morning. They beat Bosnia Herzegovina 1 0. Uh, I th- yeah. think I left that result out in our little wrap yeah. before.
2: Ahead a- of Griezmann. So it's, um, and and the, I just look at the squad they've got and the players they've got. So the, I still think that they're their number one. Um, England have been very good. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, my, me putting them at number two, uh, plus they play their group stage at Wembley, you, you think playing at home, they'll. Get through that quite easy. And then who knows after that in the knockout stages. Spain had probably been the one that you just go, oh, not sure of, um, because they've still got a lot of young players that are doing well. But uh, are they going to be good enough coming into that tournament? So if I'm going to swap a team out of there, because Portugal n- number four, you go, the, the Portuguese will be strong at the Euro with their side, and, and the Italians seem to get the job done all the time clean sheets, without making too much fuss. Um, You know, their three results were all 2-0. So um, that just goes to show what the Italians are like. I would put Belgium in there. How many goals do they have
1: to score to get into your top five, John?
2: Oh, they don't have to score many goals, but uh, the Belgians scored eight eight against Belarus. And that was really with their second string side. You know, you go, uh, how much depth have they got as well? So it was a little bit unfortunate that I didn't put them in my top five anyway, because when you look at it, they're the number one team in the world at the moment. Um, But I just think the Belgians haven't won a major tournament in their history. So I'm thinking are they good enough to win a major tournament? That, that that's, that's the only concern I have with them. Whereas I look at the the French, the English, the, the Spanish, Portuguese, the Italians, they all won something before. I write the English a long time ago. Um, but, you know, Germany missing out doesn't surprise me. Um, Denmark have been a surprise. Sweden also have have shown that they're very strong as well. They're going to be tough. I would say I would swap probably Spain out and put Belgium in that in that top 5 there is it a bullet to number three
1: or are they nudging at number five and not saying that? No, no, Spain no. It's, a, it's a bullet
2: to number three. They, they're, they're leapfrogging the Italians and the Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just because of their depth is so good and their performances. All right, they drew the Czech Republic 1 1, but, um, you know, they've just been, they're, they're strong. They, Hang they on, we don't get strong. the chance
1: to change this next week because we've got a couple of weeks of the next international break. So you're happy with that selection?
2: I'm happy with that selection. Okay. Good, I'm, good. I'm happy. I, Spain out because uh, I'm not 100% sure with the, their performances. Look, they were very lucky against Georgia to score late on to win that game and, and will put Belgium in their place. So that's my top five.
1: Portugal, Thomas, and before we wrap up the, the Euro section, um, I mean, they are a fantasy selection in terms of what they've got in midfield and going forward. But do you think they might become one of those teams that becomes a bit of a combination factor? Like, Are they going to find that cohesion in time for the Euros, particularly with Ronaldo being the focal point, but so many other potential talisman in there that um, it might be a case of you've almost got too many cooks. Can they sort that out by the Euros?
0: I think they need to, um, you know, hopefully Ronaldo will buy in fully. You know, he needs to buy into that team because I think, you know, looking back sometimes they actually play better without him. You know, he's got that individual quality and, and uh, match winning X factor, but you know, I think as a team, <laughs> they're they're better suited without him because they they work hard. You know, you know they they just got a different dynamic than than him sort of you know just walking around and and waiting for his opportunities.
2: But can they win a tournament without him? That, that that's the yeah, thing. Uh,
0: I, I you know I, I I can I can see that that that's an issue. Uh, but that's why I'm saying you know if Ronaldo says this is potentially. You know, my last tournament, I, I'm not sure if he's got ideas of the World Cup, which is just around the corner as well, but, uh, you, know, you know, he needs to do more for that team if they, um, you know, if they, uh, you know, are going to win. I think, I think the competition is that good from other teams that, that, you know, they can't have him just walking around and waiting for his opportunities.
1: Interesting. Well, they've actually got a tricky World Cup qualifying pool as well. They're they're on top on goal difference against against Serbia, but Luxembourg, Republic of Ireland as well, and Azerbaijan in that. Just to wrap up, John, one team that um, you didn't even mention in the potential knocking on the door category, the Dutch? Anything or or, or concerns maybe that the transition from Ronald Koeman over to Frank De Boer might jolt the momentum that they had uh, out of the Nations League?
2: If uh, Ronald Koeman was still in charge, I would have had him in the in the top five. Uh, I I think that uh, under De Boer, I'm. I'm he really hasn't won anything in his career. He hasn't really uh, achieved too hardly, much. Hardly games, let alone like trophies. Yeah. So and and then losing to Turkey, like they did, it, they did well to recover from that first uh, blip. You know, losing four two. So I, I think that um, yeah, I, I don't see them as a real threat going into the Euro. They, of course, they've got the players and they've got the squad to to do well, but I don't see them doing that well at the Euro.
1: As you said right at the top, John, uh, what this is wet my appetite for is how good the Euros are going to be. I know that it's been tough circumstances for the teams, thrown together three games in a week, uh, travelling around Europe in, in weird restrictions, but just seeing the range of teams, the quality of players that we're going to have on our screens in June and July with the Copper America, I might add, which we announced this week on Optus Sport, and trying to do some rosters and schedules for that, let me tell you, it is a smorgasbord.
2: Just put me on every game, Dave. Put me on every game.
1: I, I took Tuesday off to sleep. I've just banged my Sleep for June in one day, and then we're <laughs> going to go on. I think there's some days where it's football from 11 p.m. with our pre-game shows before that. We'll go all the way through the uh, Copa America game, finishing about midday or one o'clock and there's some days if you can believe this it will have J League as well so good luck in June and July to everyone how, out there watching how good all this. Is
2: that you know what we have to do there the next power ranking has to be who is going to be the players of the tournament going into the Euro and also the uh, the Copa America I thought games.
1: you were going to say who is going to last the longest out
0: of us just going through the <laughs> tournament how many, how many sleepless days can you actually amount <laughs> it's a coffee power ranking who can amass the most copies in the space of? well that
2: would definitely be me I'll I'll have the most double shot, the espressos going into those, uh, <laughs> those games for sure. And then the, the Barocas that we normally have yeah. on the table.
1: I can't wait for that. And it definitely whipped my appetite the last couple of days. We'll be counting down. That's why we talk so much about it here now at the top, because we're just counting down the days to this tournament uh, in the middle of June, which we cannot wait for now. Speaking of copper, America, um, big news during the week in terms of a club land from a South American with Sergio Aguero's retirement, Mm -hmm. uh, not retirement, move from Manchester City. And we're going to kick off this week's uh, installment of Finish This Sentence. And I'll ask you, John, Sergio Aguero will be where next season?
2: That's a tough one because reading into it, he would like to go to Barcelona, but I'm not sure that Koeman wants him as his first choice, number nine. I think he's still like, if they can go get a Haaland, they'll go get a Haaland, but the the, the money might scare him off. Uh, Or it's uh, Memphis, Mapai, that they've looked at very closely, plus Koeman knows him really well from the Dutch national team. I would go with probably those two sides, though. PSG and Barcelona were probably the most likely uh, that he would go to. Uh, PSG because, you know, they still, that number nine position is up for grabs. Who Who is their real settled number nine? So that, that might be something that uh, Pochettino looks at.
0: Not at that not at the uh, that that would be my you know going back there. I think that that would be my my. Uh, I
2: think he, he knows what Simeone is like, and I don't know if he's got that work rate anymore <laughs> in him. Yeah.
1: Good shout, good shout. Now, now neither of you have have played against Sergio Aguero, have you, or uh, fronted up against him, have you?
0: You know, you know I have, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I said I wouldn't bring it up. Or did you okay, concede no, against yeah, him? Yeah, no, no, I'd forgotten about it. Now, yeah, I did, uh, sadly. Um, you know, in, in his first season, uh, we we got absolutely destroyed. Uh, I remember Tony Pulis. I think he wanted to actually have 15 defenders on the field for that <laughs> game. Uh, he tried to sneak in a few a few extras. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was like 75, 25. Uh, I don't know if we had a shot on target in that game. And uh, I, I remember being pretty busy and he scored uh, He scored two goals. Uh, tap-ins, I, I think it was. But, uh, you know, he was there. Great first season he had. I think he scored 23 or four goals in, in the first year. Um. Uh, and, and probably, you know, he, he hadn't had the injuries, like the explosive power, you know, just you know, he made a difference really for them uh, that year.
2: Now that's when he was very – when he was young and um, and injury-free, his power, like just his takeoff for the first few metres, you know, the size of his legs. He he would be able to get away from a player in, in three or four metres uh, – straight away because he was that powerful, um, his acceleration. So that's what he had, especially when you're around the box. You you, you don't need to be that quick over 20, 30 metres, especially when you're playing in a team like Man City that dominate the possession all the time. You just need that initial speed to get away from a player, and he had that in abundance. That was his, probably his biggest asset, especially when he was younger.
1: They say you don't know what you got to you're gone, and I feel like Aguero, despite having arguably the most famous moment in Premier League history possibly underappreciated, but I feel like now with his uh, announcement that he will go, there's been those rightful discussions, Thomas, about him being in the top five greatest strikers that the Premier League has ever seen. Where does he rank for you? And having played against him, just how good
0: has he been? Uh, I think you, you can, you can you know, a little bit what John said. Um, you know, has he remained injury-free? I think it's just, you know, it, it's sadly, I think we, we haven't seen the best for for a fair few years uh, of Aguero. Even though, you know, you look at his record, you look at his, his goal scoring, um, he's definitely up there. Is he in the top five? Uh, uh, you know, I'm not too sure. I think that there's players that have have, have have done better and more consistently over a longer period of time. Um, but, you know, you can't take anything away. And uh, as you said, that iconic moment when he won Man City the title in in those circumstances, uh, you know, it uh, maybe he deserves just for that a place in the top five because uh, that was mon- monumental. And uh, you know, he, yeah, sadly we haven't seen the best of him the last few years. I think uh, because he 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 definitely uh, at, at the best at, at his highest level was uh, a world world class striker.
2: Join- yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think that uh, at his best, he was a world-class striker. The thing is, when you go off numbers in the Premier League, because Shearer played his whole career in the Premier League and these sorts of players, Rooney played his whole career. Aguero, we, we forget, he played about five, maybe more years at Atletico Madrid, and before that, Independiente in in Argentina. So it's, it's a bit... Uh, it's hard to compare someone that hasn't played their whole career when you go off of stats, but when you look at his pure numbers at Man City, over 180 goals in the Premier League or, or all up in 200-something games, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's seriously, their numbers that you go, he uh, has to be ranked in that sort of top five category, but there's been some great strikers though in the Premier League as well.
1: And I think minutes per goal, he's he's right up there uh, as well. He might be number one, actually. So that sort of shows that maybe uh, his time on the pitch has been curtailed in recent years, as you suggest, Thomas. Um, so look, he who knows where he'll be? Spain, France. Another one that's curious, I'll throw to you, Thomas, is is Mohamed Salah's interview this week, where he was talking about the rematch with Real Madrid, and he said about going to Spain. Maybe one day, yes. Maybe one day, yes. So Mohamed Salah will fulfill his Spanish ambitions in
0: retirement <laughs> 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 he'll be sipping cocktails and some Spanish <laughs> <beans>. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no I, I I, you know I'm, I'm hoping he's he's staying in the Premier League uh you know I, I I get it I think he'll he'll be well suited to 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 you know La Liga as well but um you know for the Premier League I think you know the quality he brings I think he's he's well suited for for what um mm-hmm. Liverpool are trying to do um is but he again, making too I, I much think, noise
2: though, Thomas, to, yeah, to, to say I, I, that he he is leaving? Uh, that, that's the thing that I see. Yeah, you know, yeah. the noise that he's making, and the and his agent, and and whatever else. Uh, I think, I think he wants Liverpool to sell him. I think he's pushing that angle. That, that that's what I see. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree I, with you. You know, could be wrong, but um, it would only be a, a Barcelona or a Real Madrid. that he's going to yeah. go to um, w- what a what a front line though if he went mm. to a Real Madrid and they go and get Mbappe as well. You know, could they do that and and have Benzema down uh, as a as a number nine? That would be the the old famous uh, Bale Benzema and Ronaldo uh, combination. Um, so it, look, it's it's interesting. It um, I. I Think that Liverpool probably will look to see if they can sell him uh, in the in the off season. Um, if not, uh, you know, how is Klopp going to cope with the, all the, the the rumors and 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 all the the noise around Salah and Mane not getting along? And and if they don't have a great season next year, um, there are going to be some changes at Liverpool. I feel anyway.
1: Interesting times. Hey, just on transfers, we'll talk about that because it's it's becoming that kind of uh, season. We spoke a bit about it at the end of last week's and Pod um, about Erling Haaland, which has exploded in in, in this week. Uh, all the talk about whether he's going to go replace Aguero. But can you guys talk to me about that that moment in your um, when you're at a club and your contract's coming up? Uh, that agonising moment when you have to decide where you're going to go, what's going to happen? Eh? Is the club going to stay? You st- keep you there? Are you going to go? What's that moment like, Thomas? Can you take us back to that kind of moment in, in your career?
0: Yeah, no, I had, I had a couple of difficult decisions. One was sort of, I was still under contract when I was at, at Sunderland and, and they had obviously given me the opportunity to to come to to England. Um, you know, I still had great feelings for the club and and had a great time there, but, but we got relegated um, uh, and I had to to make the tough decision to push for, for, for my, for my career and, and really sort of uh, leave the the club badge, um, you know, behind and, and, and then move on. Uh, so I had to push for, you know, for, for, for the club to sell me. Um, you know, I had a, a meeting with Mick McCarthy and he was talking about the plans for, for the following season in the championship. And I, you know, it was tough to, to sit there and say, nah, I, I'm not going to be a part of it. You know, I want to move. I want to, you know, I look after my own career, um, and uh, yeah, and ended up at Aston Villa, and then I, when I was at Stoke, and uh, sorry, at Aston Aston Villa, and um, you know, Martin O'Neill, you know, froze me out, and 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 I got sort of stuck in, in limbo with uh, you know where to go next, um, and, where, and Stoke came up with with the opportunity, so so so, so that's two different. You know, I was in in the driving seat in one and I was sort of, you know, a little bit uh, frozen out on the second one. And, and it's tough. You know, there's so many things you have to take into account, especially when you've got family and uh, career to think about and, and all those things. Uh, it, it, it it can be quite, you know, f- frustrating at times.
2: It is it is tough. Uh, the biggest one for me, Dave, was when I was at Osasuna. I was there for four years and so my contract was coming up in the fourth season. And, you um, I loved it at Osasuna. It was probably the, the the club that I enjoyed playing my football the most. I felt at home there, but I wanted to see if I could go somewhere and win something. And um, and and you know that wasn't necessarily going to be in Spain because I wasn't good enough to play for a top club in Spain. Um, but in that fourth season, I held out and and uh, ended up coming out on a free uh, transfer and um, even though Osasuna kept on offering me a deal to stay on, uh, another contract to stay on, um, and I just trusted my own um, instincts and trusted my own uh, quality to say I'll do well enough to go to a, a good enough club to challenge whether that's in another league somewhere else. So. Finishing off that season, played in the Spanish Cup final, scored uh, against Real Betis. We ended up losing that game 2-1. Went to the Confederations Cup, uh, scored two against Germany, two against Argentina. I thought, well, surely I'm going to get a good move now. Um, Panathina Kos came in. um, I signed the deal, but uh, when I had my... Medical, They actually found something in my knee that they didn't like and and I failed the medical. Then I was stuck in sort of limbo because Osasuna during that period had already signed the player. And there was a two week period there. I was thinking, well, I'm not going to get another club because I've just failed a medical. That um, i might not to uh, get touched again. Um, thankfully, Alaves, uh, who were in the, the Spanish uh, Primera, they just got promoted, uh, came in for me, and I ended up signing there. But that was a difficult period because, you know, th- I would have loved to stay at Osasuna. If I was going to stay in Spain, it would have been Osasuna would have been the team that I. Would, but I wanted to see if I could go somewhere, and Panathinaikos was the perfect opportunity to challenge for a trophy to challenge for a championship but um unfortunately that fell through
1: interesting stuff thanks for your insights and honesty there guys it's the the transfer market is something that obviously has this uh i guess gossip feel to it for the for the fans that read about it and and love to speculate speculate about where their play players are going to go or who which players are going to come in but there's a real human side to it that uh, sometimes we don't see and it's uh it's one that um I think it's really important to keep in mind when people are speculating that you guys are, you know, got decisions to make about your futures, tr- changing countries, changing cities, moving your family around. Um, it's certainly almost a whole podcast in its own right, but uh, very interesting to hear those thoughts for you guys, and um, we'll see what happens because it's going to be a very, very busy uh, off-season in Europe with some massive names up for grabs. Um, moving on to the Premier League, which returns this weekend. Uh, not that we've had a rest, but we've missed the <laughs> Premier League, and it's great to have it back. And this week, the time zones are slightly more favorable. And if you can get through your Sunday morning losing an hour, next week, we go back to the early, early Saturday night kickoffs, which will be absolutely awesome. This week, it's 10.30 p.m. kickoff off the back of Countdown kickoff on Optus Sport with Chelsea hosting West Brom. Then through the night, Leeds United against Sheffield United before two absolutely massive games to get us back into the swing of things. Leicester City against Manchester City, 2.30 a.m. Arsenal, Liverpool, 5 a.m. Let's start with Leicester and Manchester City, guys. It's a bit hard to sort of talk about it, given that all the players are coming back from abroad. But as, assuming things are as they were, uh, this is a great opportunity for maybe Leicester to have a crack at Manchester City, given that, um, you know,
0: everyone's just going to be arriving a couple of days before the game? I, I think so. Um, you know, Leicester, you know, it, it, you know they're, they're a good side. But again, I think... They need a, a win in in this game as well you know we remember what what happened last year they were in a similar position to where they are now and then you know the last seven eight games they just threw everything away um so so they uh, in my book you know looking at you know how everything is stacking up behind them i think they they need a win uh in this one um at, at least a point uh, and i think they can do it uh, I, I and again it always throws a spanner in the work after internationals. I know Man City got a great squad and they got a you know, but they've also had most of them <laughs> playing um, you know, two or three games in in this span and, and Leicester have had internationals away as well, but I think they um probably, probably not suits, as many. <laughs> yeah, and it probably suits them a little bit better. They've 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 had more players um, at their training ground doing doing a training uh uh, and probably a little bit more settled. So you know, if they if anyone are going to beat Man City, I think Leicester has a good chance this week. Well, we
2: remember what happened early on in the season five two to Leicester, a massive yeah. shock. You know, there was talk about Man City aren't going to be good enough this season, and what you know what a change that, that is. Look, Man City going to win the title. Uh, You can see that already uh, so far in front. Um, But, uh, you know, Thomas is right. Leicester are in a position that they're in a great position. They've got quite a few points uh, gap there still. But if they do uh, lose this game, then all of a sudden that gap tightens a little bit, the pressure starts to build. So it's, uh, it's an important game, especially for them. More important for them than Man City. Um, And uh, so, and after international, this is probably the, the manager's biggest nightmare is getting your players back from international break because some will come back a little bit earlier, some played this morning uh, or, or last night over there in uh, in Europe, and and so they get back very late, and it's only a couple of days to see how they've recovered from their trips, how they recovered from their games, and you know Pep might have had an idea of who's starting eleven is going to be, and then all of a sudden you know it, something comes up, so it's a, it's a game that um, normally the big sides struggle the first game back from international, um, so it's an opportunity for Leicester. Let's pick up yeah,
0: and we can't forget the Champions League's coming up next week as yeah. well. Uh, so that that's going to be massive on the minds of, of, of Man City. So, uh, you know, if they are resting any players, it'll be against Leicester.
1: Interesting stuff. And look, the run-in for the next couple of weeks, you touched on it, Thomas, is that the drop-off from last year. There's a great read on the the Sport app at the moment explaining why Leicester might not repeat that this year, um, how Rodgers has managed to overcome every single one of his challenges. And you get the sense for his career, Rodgers, he would love nothing more than silencing the doubters and getting Leicester through the top four and right in the wrongs of last year where things did fall off the edge. So we'll see what happens there because I tell you, the two of the teams who um, wish they were in Leicester's position are going to play straight after them. Arsenal and Liverpool. This begins the last frontier for both of these clubs to redeem their seasons, to get to where they want to be, be it top four or Europe. So what do you make of this game, Thomas? And can either of these clubs get to where they expected to be finishing this season, i.e. Champions League and Europa League?
0: or beyond oh, uh, again massive game for, for, for both sides um, and actually you know again Liverpool got uh, the Champions League uh, midweek um, after um, so I'm, I'm actually favouring Arsenal a little bit in, in this uh, in this one um, I think they've they've been on the up uh, a good comeback against um, uh, West Ham um, and again uh, it's just see things with Odegaard coming in I just see things slowly just shaping to you know in the right direction I I think they've been missing that number 10 and I think he's he's done extremely well Um, he's creating chances he scored a couple of goals as well Uh, and it seems to just elevate some of the other players as well around him Um, so you know I think it will be a tough test for Liverpool especially with the Champions League as well in in the back of their minds and, and going to London.
2: This is a huge game for both sides because if either side loses, so Liverpool are looking for Champions League, I think that it might start to Mm. be out of their reach in terms of the points. Five points now. Yeah, Yeah. and then you look at Arsenal. If they lose, then, you know, that Europa League position looks like nearly impossible. But, um, you know, look, it's it's an interesting game. It's... uh, do Liverpool have one eye on the Champions League? Of course they're going to have one eye on the Champions League, but I don't think he can afford to put out a, a second-string side against an in-form Arsenal. Arsenal have mm. been good, and Odegaard's been very good. I think he's been the player that they have missed uh, since he's come in. He's he, he went off injured the other day. Will he be okay to play in this game? Not sure yet, but um, this, this is a huge game. It's, it's a game that I can't really decide who will win, but uh, there's it,
1: it a lot riding on that one. A lot riding on that. A lot riding on that. And, uh, of course, Arsenal are still in the Europa League and can still hope to salvage their season through uh, winning that one. But that's a that's a long route to try and uh, hinge your next season on that. So that's 5 a.m. Um, on Sunday morning, uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time by then, actually. And then you've got 9 p.m., Southampton versus Burnley. 11 o'clock, Newcastle against Tottenham. Monday morning, 1.30 a.m., A.M. Aston Villa host Fulham, Manchester United host Brighton to begin your week, Monday, 5th April, 4.30am. Then Tuesday, um, after the whole public holiday long weekend is finished, start your week with Everton against Crystal Palace and Wolves against West Ham. The other game I want to zero in on is the grim derby between Newcastle and Tottenham. Now, the weird bit about that is we've just spoken about the stakes for Liverpool and for Arsenal, yet Tottenham are only three points adrift of Chelsea in fourth spot, John. We spoke a lot about Mourinho last week, so we'll, we'll give it a bit of a rest, but just where do you see this one going and is anyone going to kick a ball?
2: Oh, yeah, I, I can only see a Tottenham <laughs> win. I, I'll be honest with you. I, look, I know there was a lot of, uh, especially after the Dinamo Zagreb loss, um, a lot of doubters and, and, and you know, I think it's normal that Mourinho is going to get questioned. He's been questioned uh, his whole career in terms of uh, sometimes, you know, his teams aren't the most attractive to watch. But if they do beat um, uh, Newcastle, which I think they will, then they're still in a good position to qualify for a European place, whether that's Europa League. Can they push to make Champions League? Not sure, but they'll get closer for sure. They're only three points away. But Newcastle, that's the biggest worry (laughs) because they're only two points in front of Fulham, and, and you expect Fulham to pick up more points. Newcastle, you just don't see them picking up many wins at all. So... This is uh, an interesting one for Steve Bruce. If they do go down, I fear, I do fear for Newcastle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a hard road back up and um, they can't really afford to, to drop down the division.
1: It's not a good mood around there. And uh, Villa might be an opportunity for Fulham because Villa are in that little no-man's land at the moment, aren't they, Thomas, where they're comfortable. There's not the – Grealish isn't there at the moment. Um, there's not – Europe's probably out of the equation, but they're very safe. This, Fulham have the opportunity to, to put even more pressure on Newcastle to remind you of the stakes. Brighton, 16th, 32 points. Newcastle, 17th, 28 points. Fulham, 18th, 26 points. West Brom, Sheffield United, sorry,
0: we'll see you in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the, the Aston Villa game. I think, you know, it's a long shot for Europe. Uh, they've got a game in hand, so if, if, if they have to beat uh, Fulham, um, you know, f- for them to to have any sort of chance, I think they'll struggle, you know, with the consistency because they need a, a very very consistent run to have any sort of chance. I think if they win the game in hand and win against Fulham, potentially they're they're three or four points um, away from from uh, from Europe, but uh, they need Grealish back uh, as soon as possible. And and I think you know you would hope that now with the international break that um, that he will be fit um, and and then you know, as you say, they probably end up mid-table, uh, a little bit like Leeds, and, and, and be happy with that um, as it stands.
1: So we get through the Premier League a Bonanza and the Champions League returns middle of the next week, and we've got four fantastic ties. Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester City, Dortmund, the Haaland Audition, that's what they're calling that game. Porto against Chelsea, which is in Seville now. They've, they've moved both those ties, both those legs to a neutral venue for the um, COVID situation. And then Bayern Munich minus Robert Lewandowski against Paris Saint-Germain. Now, we're going into that much depth here because there's a lot to still play out over the weekend. We've seen with injuries with Lewandowski. Um, there's big games. We've talked, spoken about Liverpool City. Both have games over the weekend. Um, Bayern play Leipzig without Lewandowski as well. So there's a lot, to cover before that but just your early reaction to, to to seeing these games coming up and your early tips what are you most looking forward to um, John and then Thomas
2: i oh, looking forward to every game um, you know I, I think the, really the, the, I can't see Dortmund doing anything against Man City but the the interesting one in that tie is Haaland um, can he show pet and show the world that he can uh, score against anyone, which he can. We obviously can see that. Um, it, but uh, the buying game now has opened up a bit. That that tie there, Lewandowski being out injured, he's a massive loss for them. Of course, they've got a great squad, but he's the one player that you can count on scoring in, in, in any game and in every game that he plays in. So that opens that tie up quite a bit. And uh, it, the, the Ramos against Salah, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's the interesting part of the Real Madrid Liverpool tie. So I'm looking forward to each and every Game in um and, and you know the Porto Chelsea that that's the, that's playing in neutral venue. I think that will help Chelsea a lot more because uh, I think Porto at home are such a tough opposition to play against. So I think Chelsea should get through that tie.
0: The, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, I know for a fact that we will have drama. I think that that's what we're looking forward to, and we always get it at, at this stage. And. And we're we at the pointy end. You look at all the ties. Like it's top European sides. Um, yeah, I agree with John. I think that Bayern PSG has, has really taken my liking now because I think yeah. PSG will, will look at it and say, Hey, we can we can have we can get a revenge from the final loss last year. Um, Lewandowski is a big player. He's that match winner um, and. Can a Muller... Because, uh, you know, you look at it, they don't really have an out-and-out yeah, striker. how do you, they, you place him? How do you place him? Do you try... No, they, they'll, they'll be, be playing with a sort front. of more mobile three, I think. I don't know if Muller comes in, um, you know, where he'll be more rotational. You wouldn't have that focal point up front. Um, and that might change it a bit um, for, you know, for, for Bayern. So they've still got the quality. Like, you look at the squad, but so has PSG. And if they got everyone fit... This could be a fantastic tie. Mm, Can't
1: wait. Any any boil overs? Any upsets? What's the big predictions from you guys going into next week?
2: Uh, I don't think there'll be any boil overs. I can't see Dortmund beating Man City. Uh, I I think Man City will win that comfortably. But uh, in terms of uh, upsets, I I think that there's – you can't call in this – when you get to this stage, the only upset would be for me is Dortmund beating Man City. All the other ties are very wide
1: Porto against Chelsea?
2: I don't think that's an upset no? because you know no Porto uh, are a strong side in Europe, especially, and um, you know it, it, it will be an upset for people that follow Chelsea because of you know how strong they have been under Tuchel. But you, you can't underestimate a Porto that uh, that knocked out Juventus. I know Juventus aren't the side as they were last season or the seasons before that, but still, you know, to to beat them. To get a draw against Man City, to, you know, to to get through that group uh, stage, Porter are a difficult team to play against.
0: And for Thomas, any big predictions? Uh I you know, it, it's it's tough because you look at Real Madrid, Liverpool. Again, uh, it's anyone's game there. Whoever on the day, if Liverpool, you know, can keep it tight at the back, you know, they got enough to to hurt Real Madrid. Um, yeah, so, again, Dortmund um, would be the big surprise. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll, again, they're, they're good, exciting going forward, but I, I just can't see, you know, their back line holding up. You know, they've you know, they had injuries at the back. I don't think the, the keeper is, is a difference maker. Um, and, and, you know, in the last round, you know, against Seville, you, you, know, you, you saw the vulnerability laid on. You know, they were hanging on you know, from being in a comfortable position, really, they, they ended up uh, sort of just <laughs> managing get it, to get over the line. And I think Man City's got to definitely exploit that.
2: Just on the buying PSG, Lewandowski missing, Chupo Moteng will come in, I think. And uh, we know that he was an ex-PSG player. It's so story. It, it's a big opportunity for him against his ex-club. Um, you'd think that if they're going to go for a focal point, a number nine, he's the one that will end up filling that role. Um, so it's, that will be an interesting tie. I, I I'm really, I, I can't wait for all of them, but that one there, I just can't pick now. I mean, no, two,
1: two, two Champions League final replays in the quarterfinals. We are blessed with great action and he's got a number of ways he can play at Flick. It'll be so interesting to see which way he does go. Now, gents, we've run out of time and that is what you call a football smorgasbord. We've got World Cup qualifiers, Euros, Premier League, Champions League some next week you'll have your double dose of Gagam Pod cuz we'll have the match day editions heading into Friday's Europa League as well so there is just so much to enjoy and that's the way we like it Jens, thanks so much for your time today to review all the Euro action and um, yeah we'll do it all again really soon thanks can't, can't wait.
0: wait can't wait for next week yeah yeah it's a big week can't wait
1: awesome stuff awesome stuff so everyone out there as well thanks so much for your company as ever hope you enjoyed the show and until next week enjoy your football